Well, good morning. We're going to be in uh, Hosea chapter 11 today. That's kind of a lie. We're going to start there and end up there and be kind of all over the place in the middle of it. But uh, if you want to go ahead and take some time as the baskets are being passed, turn to Hosea chapter 11. If you're like, where's Hosea? Uh, If you've got an index Bible, it says Haas on your little index. If you don't, it's after Daniel, before Joel. Um, If you get to the New Testament, you went too far. If you're in Psalms, you're not quite there yet. So uh, go ahead and take some time to, to flip to that. I want to take some time too. It's Veterans Day weekend, and so just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our veterans. If you're uh, currently serving or have served in the armed forces, um, we'd like to just ask you to stand up real quick. Stand up, Evan. I see you down there. You sat in the front row. Thank you. Hosea chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adama or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy, for someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt, trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria, and I will bring them home again, says the Lord. So we're continuing today in our Multiply series, and we're going to be looking, uh, kind of taking what might seem like a whirlwind journey through the Old Testament here to get back to Hosea chapter 11. Because it's right there in Hosea chapter 11, those verses that we just read, that we find the key to understanding all of the Old Testament scripture and even the new. And my hope and my prayer has been this week that 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 key that we give you today will just unlock something new of the mystery of God in your life and reveal to you what has been true of God all along. You know, we've all had people come and go in our lives, and we've come and gone in people's lives, um, certainly. I know that in 20 years in the Coast Guard, um, we did quite a bit of moving around, came and went. Our friends came and went. It was kind of just a part of life. That's really true in a lot of professions nowadays. And there's this phrase that we use when someone departs uh, who we had a relationship with. We say, keep in touch. People come and people go, and and if we were close, we may hug, shed tears, uh, tell them we love them, and we say this phrase, keep in touch. And in some cases, we do. I've I've got friends that we said, keep in touch, and, and they are lifelong friends. They're as close to me as family. But I'm going to guess that that many times, this is certainly true for us, many times, but not all the time, 
you've lost touch with that person. It wasn't that you intended to, it wasn't that you wanted the relationship to go away, but over time, life got busy, and you kind of had your thing going on here, and they had their thing going on there, and you just sort of drifted apart. Some of you have taken this to a whole other level. Some of you have matching tattoos with someone you haven't spoken to in years. Right? Somewhere out there, there's somebody with the other half of that heart. And just like you, they get asked, why do you have half of a heart tattooed on you? And, and you have to explain like this relationship that used to be that is no more. For whatever reason, it dissolved. So why is that? Why do we drift away from people that we don't intend to drift away from? Why do some of those relationships just seem to dissolve over the years? It's a really common experience when you think about it. And I think that when I tell you that, you're not even thinking about that as a concept. You're thinking about a person. You're thinking about a friend or a relative or someone who you wanted to stay close to, but for whatever reason didn't. But the question we want to ask today is, what happens when the one we drift away from is God? What happens when we separate ourselves from God, we tell him, keep in touch, and we join ourselves to things he never intended us to be joined to? The Old Testament is a story of a people who had a relationship with God. They knew God. They walked with him. They saw God perform many miracles. They were given a beautiful, fertile piece of land to settle in. And then they sort of just said, keep in touch, God, and drifted off. You can go all the way back to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve in the garden, who walked in the physical presence of the Lord, but they turned away and they followed their own desires. But then, as we move through those first few chapters of Genesis, we come to a different story, the story of Abraham. The story of this, this beautiful look at a man who walked in a relationship with God. And yes, Abraham made many, many mistakes. He, he made some dumb, dumb moves if you read the story. Okay, but it says that Abraham trusted God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And we see how God tenderly and patiently led Abraham. And how Abraham demonstrated his faith in God. They had a beautiful relationship together. God promised to make this childless old man the father of many nations. And then along came Isaac in Abraham and Sarah's old age. And then Isaac had Jacob and the nation got a name, Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons, including Joseph, and they ended up in Egypt. And in Exodus 1-7 it says, They multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. And so a new king comes to power in Egypt, and he doesn't know the story of Joseph. And he says, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. So the, so the Egyptians force the Israelites into slavery, and they appoint brutal slave drivers over them, just trying to work them into the ground. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied. It's like life sucks, let's make babies, right? So I guess they just didn't have anything else going for them. Right? So the Egyptians doubled down on their oppression. And for 400 years, that's the way it was. That's more than 150 years longer than we've been a nation. This nation was in slavery in Egypt. But God raised up Moses and rescued them out of slavery. And they left Egypt with God demonstrating his power and providing for them and loving them along the way. And after all God had done... After delivering them out of 400 years of brutal slavery he, and providing for them and rescuing them, he gave them a rule. He gave them 10 rules and a few others after that, but let's just focus on the first one. In Exodus 20, it says, I am the Lord, your God. Notice the relationship there. God has not given them a law yet. 
He's already established a relationship by rescuing them. He's saying, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Here's the rule. You must have no other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. And so the people tell Moses, absolutely, we'll do everything the Lord commanded. We're going to obey. But just a few chapters later in Exodus 32, Moses is gone for just a little while and he comes back and they're there worshiping a golden calf that they had his brother Aaron make. And that's when the face palm emoji was invented. Like, what are you... I mean, how, how crazy is that when you think about the history of this, this people, of the miraculous things that God had done for them? The, the, the first rule really seemed like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, God, you rescued us out of 400 years of slavery, led us through the parted Red Sea, and swallowed up the entire Egyptian army behind us. We're on board with whatever you're doing. Like, we're going to follow you. But that's not the way the story goes. And so throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this cycle repeated where people's, God's people drift away from him and sin. And they follow it with punishment, repentance, deliverance, and peace. And it just repeats over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. The prophet Hosea gives us the most vivid, heartbreaking description of what is happening from God's perspective when people drift away from him. We don't know a whole lot about who Hosea was. He's mentioned a few times in the New Testament, but it's only to quote his prophecy. What we do know is that Hosea was called by God to live a life where he knew there would be suffering. But through that suffering, a great prophecy would flow from God to his people, both in the words that Hosea spoke and in the example of his life. So in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says, When the Lord began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Okay, and so the story begins and goes that that Gomer gives Hosea three children, a boy, girl, and a boy. And the first one is named after the place where God intends to break Israel's military power. It's named Jezreel. The other two were given names that mean not loved and not my people. Now imagine with me for just a moment if a new family walked into church and the, the husband says, hey, my name, is, uh, my name is Hosea, this is my wife Gomer. She's a prostitute, kind of like you are with God. Okay, this is my oldest child. Uh, his name is Washington, D.C. This is where, uh, that represents where God is going to break your military power. Okay, and, and this little cutie pie here, this is God doesn't love you. And our third one's around here somewhere. Oh, yeah, you're not God's people. Like, <laughs> what do you make of that? Like, well, nice to meet you. Here's an orange card. Uh, do you want some coffee? You know, let me introduce you to the senior pastor real quick. Uh, shuffle that person along, right? But So you can imagine what Hosea's life must have been like among his people. I mean, I imagine him walking down the sidewalk with his family and people like growling at him or like walking across to the other side of the road. Like, here he comes again. But what God is doing here is saying, Hosea, I want you to experience what it's like to be me for a little bit. I want you to experience what it's like to be married to a people completely given over to others. 
I want you to experience what it's like to live in a marriage that's treated as worthless. To taste superficial love that doesn't mean anything. That comes and goes like the wind and doesn't even seem to notice or care. That is the life that Hosea's prophecy flowed from. And the issue here for both God and for Hosea is substandard separation. It's the picture of a marriage. In a marriage, by God's design, two become one. And he designed it that way. That's, that, that is a perfect order of things, when two become one. And when you chase something else, you're always pursuing something of lesser value. It's a substandard separation. In Leviticus 11.44, God said to his people, For I am the Lord your God. There's that relational language again. I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up out of Egypt that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. So God is saying, I am your God. You are my people. There are going to be things about you that are going to be absolutely peculiar in the world around you. The nations around you will not understand, but I'm calling you to separate yourselves to me and be holy. But the people continually, over centuries after centuries, separated themselves to worthless idols and drifted away from God. And so in Hosea chapter 2, we see God bring down a fierce judgment. Now, this is where many people get tripped up in the Old Testament. Okay, we get tripped up into this false dichotomy of thinking that there's one God of the Old Testament who's this angry, evil God, and there's a new God of the New Testament who's our friendly uh, bobblehead buddy on our dashboard type of God. But that's not true, and I'm going to read a passage from Hosea 2 here. And this passage is not easy to take. I'm telling you right now, this passage might ruffle your feathers. But there's a real danger in preaching Hosea or reading Hosea and skipping over the parts that are difficult. And so when we read this, we need to think deeply about who God is. Hosea 2 says, But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness. Those are strong, strong words. And those words should cause us to pause and go, whoa. We've talked in this series about the difference between milk Christians and meat Christians. Right? Milk Christians just feeding on the parts of God's word that make us feel good about ourselves over and over again, but never really growing to understand who God is. You know, we can preach, you know, John 3.16 weekly, and it's a beautiful verse. But if we really want to grow, we've got to wrestle with these hard passages about who God is and ask ourselves, what is meant by this? What is God saying here? Let's think about what these words mean. He says, for she is no longer my wife and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove, otherwise I will strip her. I will leave her. God is saying, Israel, you're selling your very soul. You've broken the relationship. Knock it off or I'm going to expose you for what you really are. And you're going to suffer the consequences for what you've done. And so when we get to verses like this, the question to ask is it's, it's not to look at these verses and say, 
ah, I don't like that. I'm going to move on to something that I, can, that I can stomach, something that's easier to understand. The question we need to ask is, do I understand who God is? Do I really understand who God is? Or have I made God out to be something that he is not? Do I understand how serious of a problem sin is in God's eyes? And maybe the issue isn't the scripture. Maybe the issue is me. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Friends, you cannot think rightly about God and ignore the Old Testament. Is some of it hard to take? I think we just saw that it is. Absolutely. Do we understand all of it? No way. That doesn't mean that we get to discount it simply because it challenges our cultural understanding of the world. But it also doesn't mean that we need to get discouraged when we read those things because we need to read them through the lens of the whole story. Otherwise, we miss, this, we, we miss God's love unfolding before us even when we read about his wrath. Because it goes on in chapter 2, the same chapter we just read from, to say, but then I will once again win her back. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. So while she's still married to Hosea, Gomer goes off and becomes the property of another man. And so God tells Hosea, and Hosea goes back, and he he goes back to the man that now possesses his wife, and he buys her back. Imagine that. Imagine standing in line at a brothel to buy back your own wife. The price he pays is 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. It comes up to 30 shekels of silver, which is the price the law required for the purchase of a slave. So let's tie this all together. Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the image of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. And so we see a shift here from the imagery of marriage, a shift from the imagery of a husband and a wife to another of the closest relationships that we know on earth, that of a father and a child. And in verse 1 we see here that it was God the Father who went back and bought the son Israel out of slavery, an act of pure grace on God's part. No law had been given yet, no obedience rendered. God simply set his love on his people and chose them to be in a relationship with him. This goes far beyond the legalism that some of you may associate with the Old Testament and into a relationship of the deepest devotion, the love of an obedient son for his father or the love of a faithful wife to her husband. And we see God here, a gentle father, working to provide for his son, reaching out and grasping the tiny hand, teaching him to walk, leading him along to safety, removing everything that that oppresses him, and stooping down gently to feed him. But the son had a rebellious spirit, and the more God calls, the more he loves, 
the further the son distances himself, stubbornly rejecting the call to return. So God says in verse 5, But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. And so Israel is going to be forced to suffer the consequences. They're going to face the consequences for their choice to turn away from God. But right in the midst of that, as God is contemplating the destruction of his child, he cries out, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. And here is the key. Here is the mystery of God opened right in front of us. You see, in chapter 2, we read about God's wrath. And then later in the same chapter about his love. And the whole story in Hosea seems to do this. Right here in chapter 11, I loved you like a son. Now you're going to be destroyed. My heart breaks for you. How can I let you go? I won't let you go. And so from our perspective when we read these things, it seems as if God is on the throne, helplessly wondering what to do with his people. Vacillating between wrath and love and grief, trying to decide whether or not he's going to destroy them or welcome them back. Friends, I'm here to tell you, God is not changing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is sovereign, supremely powerful. God has a plan that existed since the beginning of time, and God knows exactly what to do. So why the back and forth? When we read God's word, we are looking into the mind of an infinite God through the imperfect tool of human language. We can only think or read one story at a time. You know, we read these stories in this linear progression, but God's ways are not our ways. God is timeless. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so God is not this wavering emotional mess that some have tried to make him out to be. God is at once, at the same time, perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly sovereign, perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly merciful, and perfect in grace. God's attributes exist in unity at the same time, all the time. So when we read about his justice, it doesn't negate his mercy. When we read about God's wrath, it doesn't negate his love. The key to understanding God's word is understanding the God of the word. His ways are not our ways. And so when we read his word, particularly here in the Old Testament, where we come face to face with God's righteous wrath, maybe we should pause and tremble. It's okay to read those verses and be shaken and think, who is this God that I'm dealing with? Maybe we should look at our own lives and say, wow, I have drifted away from God. I have separated myself to substandard things. And I have drifted away from him. He keeps his promise a thousand times, and at the next trial, I doubt him. But thankfully, thankfully, everything here 
in this story and throughout the entire Old Testament, everything we read about, this all points to the cross, where God was both just and the justifier, where his wrath and his love were poured out on one man, Jesus Christ, at the same time. All of God's attributes were poured out in that moment for you and I. When we were purchased out of slavery by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's sovereign love is what raised him from the grave. This is where it all comes together, the Old Testament and the New. All of God's attributes come together here in Hosea, pointing us to the future. Like Pastor Brooks said today, everything was pointing towards Christ. Just like today, everything is pointing toward the day when he returns. Everything in Hosea was pointing us toward the cross. And it is God's unmerited grace that rules human history. Not his wrath, not his anger. It is God's unmerited grace that rules human history. I'm going to tell you a a quick story as I kind of wrap up here. Um, In Hosea chapter 11, it talks about the cords of love, leading us along with cords of love. Well, why would he do that? Because we're prone to wander. My favorite hymn, uh, a verse from it says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God knows that we're prone to wander. I know that I'm prone to wander. Just like his people Israel were prone to wander. That's what this whole story is about, of people who have drifted away from God and God's relentless desire to get them back. So about seven years ago, I was at home with my kids. Uh, my wife Robin had gone off uh, to work for the day. It was on a Saturday. It was a really nice hot summer day. And so I wanted to mow the lawn. My kids were young at the time. Uh, my daughter was six, and Ty was probably three, and then Jack, our youngest, was like two. Uh, so I mow the lawn, and it's a nice hot summer day, and so I'm doing my laps around on the mower and waving to him, checking on him as I go by. And I finished it up, and so I went inside for a glass of water. And I sat down for maybe 10, uh, maybe 15 minutes tops just to get a glass of water or wipe the sweat off my brow. And I, I go back outside, and I ask Lucy, hey, where? I, I see Lucy and Jack sitting there. I see, like, the swing is, like, eerily, like, swinging back and forth in the wind, like in the movies where you're, like, premonition, like something's wrong, right? Something's not right here. I said, Lucy, where's Ty at? I don't know. Of course she didn't. She's six. It's not, her, it's not her job to watch him. It was mine. And so I start walking around the house, and I start, you know, calling for him. Ty, where are you at, buddy? Thinking maybe he just kind of wandered into the house to get something. And I don't find him. I go into the garage, and I check there, and I don't find him. And I go outside. Is he, you guys see him yet? Nope, haven't seen him yet. And so I start walking around. There is nothing behind our house for about seven miles. There's nothing on the other side of our house but swamp. And so I'm like, oh, man, like, heart's starting to beat pretty fast. I'm getting really nervous, right? So I go to the neighbors and say, have you guys seen Ty? Have you seen him? No, we haven't seen him. Oh, man, I am, now I'm in, like, full freakout mode, right? I'm running around through the woods yelling for my son, where are you at? So I go inside and I call 911 because I know you got you to do those things early. Like, you got to do it right away. So I call 911, and I'm talking to the operator, and she says, you know, can you describe him? Yeah, he's a three-year-old. He's got, like, sandy brown hair. Uh, this is what he looks like. She says, what is he wearing? Like, mm, dad of the year, right? <clears throat> I got no clue what he's wearing. I don't know what he's wearing. I don't know what I'm wearing most of the time. If you ever want to commit a crime, do it in front of me. I am oblivious. I'm not paying attention to what you're wearing or how you're wearing it. I just, I'm not a detailed person when it comes to that kind of stuff. So they, I talked to nine. They say we're sending somebody right away, and so I'm I'm running around the yard through the house, just frantically looking for him. And I, I go through. I'm like, make one more round through the house. 
I'm screaming at the top of my lungs his name in every room that I go into. I walk into his own bedroom, and I scream his name, and he's not, there's no response. And I climb up onto the top bunk, and I start throwing stuffed animals. It's just just giant pile of stuffed animals and blankets. And underneath this giant pile of stuffed animals and blankets is this sweaty little kid sound asleep. Just sound asleep. So I pick him up, and I'm hugging him. I'm, like, crying. I'm like, oh, buddy, I love you so much. And he's like, what's going on? Like, why are you, why is dad crying? And I'm like, oh, just don't, you know, I'm just hugging him, just loving him. Just, I found him. Some of you are wandering off spiritually like a careless three-year-old, just wandering off from God without even realizing it, dabbling in darkness, separating yourselves to things that are substandard. Some of you have been wandering since the day you were born and never have even tasted of the abundant life that God has in store for you. He is calling you right now with all the tenacity and all the love of a parent frantically searching for a lost child, just calling out for you to come home. Hosea chapter 14, it just ends beautifully. It says, Return to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you praise. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. My anger will be gone forever. Friends, he poured out his anger on the cross to give you away to be made right with him. If you are drifting, don't drift any longer. He is calling you to come back into a relationship and he welcomes you with open arms to pour out his love on you. Father God, let anyone here who feels that they've been drifting away, who hears your word and is pierced, to turn back to you in this moment and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I ask that you would receive me back once again, God. That you would open your loving arms and just take me in. Not because of anything that I've done to deserve your love, because God, I know that I don't deserve it, but I thank you that it is unmerited grace that rules history. That your love is the thread that holds the whole universe together. And God, I submit to you in this moment as Lord of my life, as imperfect as I know that I am, I submit to you the perfect God who gave us a perfect son, who died on behalf of us, paying the penalty for our sins to buy us out of that slavery to sin, rescuing us from our oppressors. God, we acknowledge him as Lord right now in this moment. God, I pray that anyone here who has just received that would just sense the overwhelming mercy and grace and love that flow from you. That your peace would just rain down upon them, God. And that they would walk in life as a new creation. That they would put off the old man and put on Christ. Living in a new relationship with you. One where we don't say, God, keep in touch. But where we say, God, how are you doing today? As we just walk continuously with you, God. Help us just to walk continually with us. Don't, don't let us drift, God. Remind us. Use the other believers here just to remind us to spur us on toward perfection. To finish the race well. To run with endurance. 
to be committed to you daily, Lord, moment by moment to be following you, to live lives of faith. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for your love. We praise you in the powerful and holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen.